Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Calling all operatives. From now to March 30th, MGM National Harbor invokes your skills to play Covert Cash, a spy-themed kiosk game series where classified missions, hidden rewards, and daily thrills await. Sign up for MGM Rewards to play and unlock up to $25,000 in hidden free play daily and entries into our grand escape car drawing on March 30th. Visit MGMNationalHarbor.com slash Covert Cash to begin your mission. Must be 21. Please play responsibly. For help, visit MDGamblingHelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER. You're listening to Revolver Podcasts. Good afternoon. A San Antonio district judge resigns after a federal corruption probe. State District Judge Angus McGinty is at the center of an investigation today involving the FBI and the U.S. Attorney's Office. A former San Antonio, Texas judge goes to federal prison after pleading guilty to accepting bribes in exchange for rigging cases in his court. Angus McGinty committed the ultimate judicial sin and it cost him his freedom, his livelihood, his bench, and law license. Since pleading guilty, he's refused to talk about the details of his criminal case. Until now. I did it because I was foolish. And that one little mistake that I made, that I never really intended to make, but I did, cost me everything. Everything. But this is not just the story of a single judge taking a one-time bribe. You see, during the FBI's corruption investigation back in 2014, agents recorded attorney Al Acevedo on his cell phone, boasting he was bribing several state judges. Only McGinty was charged and prosecuted. That's because the FBI's undercover operation was compromised when word of the investigation was leaked to the very judges who it was targeting. The names of other judges and bribes they allegedly took have been kept sealed in secret FBI and court files, with many of those judges still on the bench. But I've obtained those secret files, and the truth of the courthouse corruption scandal, and exactly who was involved, will finally be revealed. I'm investigative reporter Brian Collister, and this is How to Bribe a Judge, the podcast. In this episode, I'll explain how secret government records list the names of other state judges that were implicated during the FBI's corruption investigation in San Antonio. Many are still on the bench today. And how word of the Fed's sting operation was leaked to the very judges it was targeting, effectively shutting down the FBI's investigation and ending any chance to prosecute any other judges. Details of that warning which have never been made public before, show it came from the highest-ranking federal judge in the Western District of Texas. But first, I finish my conversation about his bribery case with the only judge prosecuted in this scandal, Angus McGinty, who I first interviewed in March of 2013 after he was the target of a murder plot. Exactly a year ago, District Judge Angus McGinty was the target of a disgruntled defendant who allegedly wanted him dead in a murder-for-hire plot. 
That's when he shared this with the News 4 San Antonio troubleshooters. I do my job uh, professionally and without malice towards anyone, but when I was informed of that, it, I took it very personally. Um, it no longer was something you read about, but was something that was happening to me. We've learned eight months after this interview, federal investigators began looking into McGinty's cases and the sentences he'd been handing down. Uh, I was advised in October that the FBI and the U.S. Attorney's Office through a different district, not district, district, were looking at issues of corruption in our judiciary here in Bear County. For the last four months, Reed tells me the Bear County District Attorney's Office has been handing over information to the feds related to McGinty's courtroom decisions. And she says all of the public corruption cases she's prosecuted involved an exchange of money. It revolves around uh, taking money to do things you shouldn't do. The best way to summarize what you pled guilty to uh, in terms of the, the value of the car repairs that Al Acevedo uh, gave you is uh, in your pre-sentence investigation, uh, which is part of the sealed file. Um, and this document has never been made public before, but it, uh, it, uh, it says the offense conduct. It says during the scheme, Acevedo corruptly offered, gave, and agreed to give items of value which totaled approximately $6,655 with the intent to influence McGinty. In exchange for Acevedo's bribes, McGinty provided favorable judicial rulings, which benefited Acevedo and his clients, which included lenient sentences and or less restrictive conditions of release. The things of value which Acevedo paid or gave as gifts to McGinty included, but were not limited to, cash, car repairs, fuel, a car wash, the sale of one of McGinty's vehicles, and the registration of another vehicle purchased by McGinty. In turn, McGinty took steps to hide, conceal, and cover up his corrupt activities and the nature and scope of his corrupt dealings with Acevedo. That's what you pled guilty to. And the fact that I uh, had dealings with uh, an old friend as closely as we did um, was wrong. It was wrong. Um, and illegal. And illegal. Um, unethical and illegal. I don't like how things are embellished. And this, this just reminded me of something that I'd forgotten about. You stated the sale of one of my cars. Okay. The documents uh, yeah. say that there was a sale of a vehicle and that Acevedo basically padded the amount. I believe the FBI gave yeah, the, I, the purchase I, check to the informant. I, okay. What I remember is yeah, this was this was so long ago. The car I owned before the old car that I had worked on by the mechanic friend of Acevedo's was an equally older car. And I wanted to sell it because I was having trouble with it. Acevedo said he knew a guy who loved old uh, Mercedes and would buy it. And I said, great. This is what I think it's worth. And Al sold it for me. This is a uh, guy I'd known for so long. I didn't think anything of it. And he, I signed the title over to whoever it was. And that was it. Later, the FBI comes in and says that they were 
facilitating this. I didn't know that. I just thought it was a guy, a guy buying my car. It, it, this is one of the documents. In conversations recorded over the next several months, this is the FBI um, talking about their recordings, Acevedo discussed paying to repair and sell McGinty's car when the car sold to an FBI agent for $700 less than McGinty was asking, recorded conversations indicate that Acevedo made up the difference out of his own pocket. When Acevedo texted McGinty to say he had the cash from the car sale, McGinty responded, well, I'm a whore for money. Oh, is that how that came out? After selling McGinty's <laughs> old car, Acevedo also paid to refine, repair, and register a new car for McGinty. Okay, so I didn't know that Acevedo had put in any money and I don't even know if he did or if they're just saying he did. Because remember, what you're reading from is what an FBI agent says someone else said. Well, we're supposed right? to believe an FBI agent because they are part of the federal task force designed to root out corruption, corruption which you are convicted of. So who are we supposed to believe, the FBI agent or the convicted former judge? Well, that's a good point. But I would say you believe what you hear from the witnesses themselves, not what somebody says they said. All I knew from that car sale is Al sold it to someone who bought it, and he gave me the money telling me that, that he had sold it to someone. I, did, I never knew the FBI was involved in that. But you've given context now to, what I, to why I said I'm a whore for money is because I was selling a car I didn't want anymore, and somebody actually bought it. And liked it, even though I hated it, and gave me cash for it. So, and yet that's twisted around to make me seem like I'm doing anything for money. McGinty did have his supporters. One local defense attorney, who used to work for the same U.S. Attorney's Office prosecuting McGinty, had this take on the case while appearing on a local TV talk show. I think we need to be careful of the context we put this in. We've been talking about uh, Al bribing McGinty. Uh, of course, that's Al's version of it. Uh, but this case, as it has certain parallels with the city council case, and frankly, a lot of cases brought, such as the case against uh, Senator Stevens, uh, a lot of times there are factors that are not taken into consideration uh, that explain uh, why certain things happened the way they did. Uh, and so Guillermo said that uh, uh, Al was boasting uh, and I think, as I said, that's one of the problems in this case. But also another issue in this case is how the state court runs. It's just different from how the federal court runs. doesn't mean it's illegal. It's just a different way of doing uh, the criminal justice system. So help me understand, I mean, to the general public, they, they look at the publicity that's come out and it looks like he's guilty, guilty, guilty. He resigned from the bench. He tried, you know, he, right, right before the election, he's still on the ballot. But... Uh, in, in what way could he have been you know, getting a gift from a lawyer than we see uh, you know, a client who's already been sentenced, if I understand, to go to, to jail on the third DWI, and all of a sudden he gets probation? But what kind of a scenario could help explain that in a way that, that was, didn't make him look culpable? Yeah, of course, I, I don't represent uh, Judge McGinty, but uh, from just knowing what I know, this is, this is what I can tell you. For example, uh, you indicated that he resigned. And so a lot of people, uh, even friends of mine, said, well, he must be guilty if he resigned. That's not necessarily true. I know that when I represent clients, it's going to be a normal uh, defense, enormous undertaking uh, that's going to take all of his time to, to defend himself. Uh, also, I know that just my personal interaction with him, uh, it's always been my impression he's an honorable man. 
and mm. and uh, I don't think he could sit on the bench just in his own soul, having been accused of this, even though he didn't do anything wrong, and uh, there be an appearance of impropriety. So him quitting uh, or stepping down from the bench to me doesn't say anything uh, mm. negatively on on his character or his guilt. But uh, to get to the second part of your question. Uh, how is it that someone's sentence can be reduced? Well, that's done every week in that state courthouse, not because of bribery, just because additional factors come into consideration. We have to remember that prosecutors are in those courtrooms at every moment when those decisions are being made by the judge. Although some of the testimony or was that there, there was ex parte contact. Uh, that is to say, uh, Alcevedo was talking about cases to the judge outside of the presence of the other uh, of the other side. Yeah, uh, I think that particularly... That, by the way, that's, that's forbidden, isn't it? That's, actually not. No? Okay. Yeah, in the state courthouse, and that's another thing. We think that you're just not supposed to approach a judge uh, on your own without having the other side there. In the state court system, that happens every day uh, by prosecutors approaching judges by themselves, uh, by defense lawyers approaching judges by themselves, by bondsmen approaching judges on uh, relative to the bond. It's my understanding one of these situations, or maybe two, involved the lowering of a bond, that, that Al mm -hmm. called up the judge about lowering a bond. That's done all the time. Mm -hmm. uh, perhaps we should change the system that lawyers should not be uh, authorized by our state legislature to issue bonds. Then you cut that out. But as long as you're going to let lawyers issue bonds... And so Al was writing the bond on this? He was the, the bondsman? Yeah, on, on at least two I, or three of the cases. I had a lawyer one time tell me about uh, having to sort of mislead his, his uh, client to coming in for a hearing, uh, knowing that his client would be arrested at the hearing because he was afraid the client would leave and he would lose his bond that he had written. Yeah, I think that's that's a reality of what you heard. It's not just a, a, a war story. And yeah. so that's the I, I think the whole thing about judges or, or lawyers issuing bonds is, is horrible. I think the state should address that immediately. But as long as it's going to allow that under law, uh, well then bondsmen contact judges to lower bonds. That happens every day. Coming up next, I asked the former judge if the attorney who says he bribed him and other judges is a liar. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. So before we move on to other aspects of this case and other other judges that were involved and how the case eventually was leaked and et cetera. Um, do you think Al Acevedo was a liar? That he, when he was picked up on wiretaps, that he was not speaking the truth. When he talked to the FBI, he didn't give them truthful answers. Or do you believe that he can be believed? Brian, I think Al, Al Acevedo can be believed. I think if you sit down and talk with him or you're recording what he says, you're going to get the truth from Acevedo. But if you're going to ask an FBI agent who is metaphorically holding a gun to his head, then the FBI agent is going to tell you what Acevedo is supposed to have said. Meanwhile, he's telling Acevedo he's going to indict him, he's going to lose his law license, he's going to indict his children, his mother, his grandmother, he's going to ruin his whole business, his whole family. 
He didn't put that in his 302 report that he threatens the witness. They don't put that. That's a, I'm off the subject of your question. Yeah, I think Acevedo can be believed. I've known him for 20-something years, and I've always found him to be believable. So in these documents, Acevedo is, it's pretty clear Acevedo is talking about how he can get favors from you. I mean, it, yes. it's, it's pretty clear. Um, at one point, he's picked up on the wiretap saying, he's referring to you, this guy does more shit for me. He's as good as, and he mentions another state district judge in Bear County, and he says, he's as good as this other judge ever was. He's talking about another judge he's bribing, but he's saying you're better than that judge. So it's pretty clear that Acevedo believed he had a corrupting influence. Yeah, he did. And, you know, Brian, it's misleading for me to say that Acevedo didn't have influence with me. In truth, he did. But that's not because of any any money he ever gave me for a campaign contribution or otherwise uh, in, in having my car repaired. Al Acevedo is a good lawyer, always was a good lawyer. And Al could get what he wanted just by advocating. So, But again, let's be clear for listeners that you pled guilty to yes. accepting bribes from Acevedo in exchange for favorable, favorable rulings. Well, yeah, I accepted a car repair. So that is true. The scope of the FBI investigation was expansive. It engulfed the entire Bear County Courthouse, and the FBI was targeting prosecutors with the district attorney's office, court staff, court clerks, bail bondsmen, lawyers, and of course, judges. At the center of all of this was Al Acevedo, it was Acevedo who was caught on wiretaps talking about it all. Now on to the sealed government records. During the entire case, while it was in the court system, all of these files were sealed by a federal judge, and a gag order was in place, meaning that no one could release these documents or talk about them. I've been able to obtain them, and they detail extensively the investigation into the courthouse corruption and how it all played out. For example, it talks about how Al Acevedo was inadvertently tipped to the FBI's investigation, putting an end to the wiretaps. Effectively, the FBI had to then approach Acevedo because he was made aware, according to one of the FBI documents, which states, on November 13th, Victor Sosa, believed to be an employee of First National Bank of Georgia West, placed a telephone call to attorney Acevedo. During the call, Sosa told attorney Acevedo that the bank got served with a grand jury subpoena seeking Acevedo and his son's bank records. Sosa told Acevedo that the subpoena was in connection with an FBI criminal investigation out of San Antonio. It goes on to say that as Sosa read the subpoena to Acevedo, Sosa said he thinks he screwed up by telling Acevedo about the subpoena and Acevedo chuckled. The FBI writes after that was picked up on wiretap that the FBI assesses this conversation to mean that Sosa told Acevedo about a grand jury subpoena issued in connection with this case and that Acevedo now knows that he is under criminal investigation. Also detailed in these records is how the FBI, realizing that now Acevedo was aware he was the target of an investigation, how the FBI agents then went back to the courts and said they wanted to try a new strategy. They would approach Acevedo. 
I'm reading now from one of the documents submitted to the court by the FBI and the U.S. Attorney's Office. Quote, at this time, the FBI's investigation of Attorney Acevedo has identified extensive corruption within the Bear County Judiciary. However, the FBI has been unable to identify and collect sufficient evidence to prosecute certain public officials who appear to have received bribes from Acevedo and his associates. The FBI intends to interview Attorney Acevedo and Signs. That's a reference to a bail bondsman named Albert Signs. The FBI intends to interview Attorney Acevedo and Signs and solicit their cooperation in identifying corrupt public officials. In addition, the FBI wishes to affirmatively use Attorney Acevedo and Signs to offer bribes to judges and other public officials to identify and gather evidence to prosecute these public officials. The FBI's submission to the court goes on to say, the FBI anticipates that this undercover activity will include Attorney Acevedo and Signs requesting that judges and other public officials provide favors in the form of official action in made-up, non-existent cases in exchange for campaign contributions or some other pledge. For example, attorney may contact a judge and request a favor, like a condition of release, a modification of conditions of release, a bond reduction, continuance of a forfeiture hearing, or something along those lines. Now, in exchange for some type of consideration, like a campaign contribution, cash, or car repairs. Finally, the FBI says that the FBI submits that this is necessary to engage in this investigative activity to fully root out corruption in the Bear County Judiciary. The FBI anticipates that corrupt judges and public officials will take the bait, and honest ones will refuse. The FBI was given permission by the court to take its investigation directly to Al Acevedo and to move forward with a sting involving all of the judges that he knew. One of the documents says that Attorney Acevedo is cooperating with the FBI and, quote, on December 5, 2013, the FBI met with Attorney Acevedo, confronted him with the evidence of his involvement in bribery activities, and solicited his cooperation. During this, the FBI debriefing, Acevedo was questioned about corruption in the Bear County Courthouse. Acevedo volunteered information about bribery involving two other district court judges. In these documents, there are a lot of uh, conversations, text messages where Acevedo was picked up. Um, but eventually the FBI obviously approached him and told him what they had and asked him to cooperate. And he very wisely said that, yes, he would cooperate. So there is a government document shortly after this date, I guess after their first uh, debriefing of Acevedo, and I'm going to read it to you, I guess. Uh, it says, Attorney Acevedo is cooperating with the FBI. On December 5th, 2013, the FBI met with Attorney Acevedo, confronted him with the evidence of his involvement in bribery activities, and solicited his cooperation. At this time, the FBI has met with Attorney Acevedo approximately three times. The FBI has asked Attorney Acevedo about signs participation in criminal activities. That refers to a bail bondsman um, who's all over these documents uh, in his involvement with Acevedo. But the government document goes on to say, Attorney Acevedo advised that signs has provided 
this is in quotes, campaign contributions to judges through third parties to avoid detection of the contributions. Attorney Acevedo further advised that he would take money from signs and deliver it to judges for the purpose of obtaining favorable judicial rulings. Attorney Acevedo indicated that he provided multiple judges with campaign contributions in cash. Attorney Acevedo advised that some of these cash campaign contributions, again in quotes, were in the range range of $500 to $2,000. The United States believes that these campaign contributions are actually cash bribes. Wow. The bondsman was never charged. You were, but, and Acevedo, of course, was. But at this point in the investigation, they were focusing in on the bail bondsman, but he was never charged. That sure is extraordinary, isn't it, Brian? That that, that happened and it didn't go anywhere. Maybe with, may you, be, maybe with you it will. And there may be perfectly good answers. There may, there may be perfectly good reasons uh, that the U.S. Attorney's Office can offer up to explain why this investigation came to sort of a screeching halt and, and, and nothing else resulted from it. But when they seal all of the documents from public view, uh, that certainly um, makes it a lot harder to be able to, to tell what happened. But luckily we have at least some of that. And we can press forward and, and see if they're going to offer up any uh, reasons as to why this happened. And uh, we'll have to see. Indeed, we will. With Acevedo being the center of this investigation, it was time now for me to reach out to him and see if he'd be willing to tell his side of the story and talk to me for this podcast. I found out Acevedo is working as a paralegal at a law firm in San Antonio. But first, before I tell you what happened when I contacted him, a little background. I met Al Acevedo at the Bear County Courthouse before all of this happened. I was leaving the courthouse one day after doing an interview with my photographer, and Acevedo made a comment to me. I don't remember exactly what it was, but he obviously recognized me as the reporter from the local television station who had been covering a lot of cases at the Bear County Courthouse. We briefly made comments to each other as we walked past, and then he was gone. My photographer and I got in our news vehicle and headed back to the television station. About two blocks away, we were stopped at a red light. All of a sudden, we heard screeching tires, and then bam, the vehicle hit us from behind that Acevedo was driving. Out steps Acevedo with his big expensive cowboy boots on and says that his boots got stuck under the accelerator and he apologized for hitting the back of our news vehicle. My photographer sustained some neck injuries but I was okay but that was the one time I remember speaking to Al Acevedo. So when I called him to ask him if he would be on this podcast and again give his side of the story he knew exactly who I was. No. Uh, hi, Al Acevedo. This is Brian Collister. How are you? Okay. Good. Hey, bud. I, I just wanted to touch base with you and let you know I'm doing a, a podcast with Angus McGinty about his case and wanted to see if you would 
also be willing to talk to me? No, I'm not interested. But thanks for calling. Can I ask you one quick question, Al? Hmm, you hung up. When we come back, how word of the FBI's investigation was leaked, and who exactly let the cat out of the bag? BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. The federal judge who handed down the, the sentences said something very interesting in court. He said, quote, I am of the opinion that this does not stop here. He said he is certain that, that other judges were offered bribes. It remains unclear, though, if more judges and more attorneys will be prosecuted. One of the stunning revelations in these documents is that while the FBI was conducting a sting, essentially, after they'd flipped out Acevedo, they were going to try to sting judges um, to further root out corruption uh, and bribery, and et cetera, um, you were actually warned about the FBI's investigation, weren't you? Yeah, I was. Um, so before the FBI came to see me in late January of 2014, Jay Norton uh, called me at home one night. Maybe a, another attorney who eventually represented you. Yeah. He called me and asked if he could meet with me. And uh, I said, what's it about? And he said, well, it's, it's, uh, it's personal. So I need to I need to meet with you now. I thought it was something in his life, and so we met uh, at in the parking lot at Luby's on two eighty one in Bitters. And he told me that the FBI was investigating the Bear County Courthouse. They were uh, investigating a whole host of people, and uh, Jay told me uh, it's all bullshit. Uh, that he and Alan are going to make sure that everyone is, well, what did he say? He actually said he's going to make, he and Alan are going to make sure the Bear County Courthouse is protected and they're not going to let the FBI come in and micromanage how things are done at the Bear County Courthouse and uh, insinuate or charge people with doing things illegal. That's basically what our meeting was about. And I said, uh, okay, cool. I haven't done anything illegal. And Jay said, I know that. I said, well, let me know if I need to talk to anybody. And that probably was, I think it was a month or so before I saw the FBI. It was before the, the, the turn of the year, so it might have been around Christmas time or even before that. It may have been around Thanksgiving. So how did these two attorneys tell you they had heard about the FBI's investigation? Oh, well, so Jay told me that Federal Judge Orlando Garcia had told his drinking buddy, Sid Harl, about this investigation and that uh, Jay told me that Alan Brown was going to warn some of the other judges and Jay was going to warn some of the judges. I guess I was one of the ones that Jay was, was selected to warn. Uh, him and Alan decided that. Um, and that 
that's how they learned about it. They, I think he also threw in the uh, U.S. attorney, um, Joey Contreras. I think he threw in that name, too, as uh, having uh, told them about the investigation. So and this is uh, this is I'm laughing because it's just ridiculous. This is a federal investigation into corruption by judges. And what you're saying is that a federal judge, Orlando Garcia, and an assistant U.S. attorney in the U.S. attorney's office leaked word of the investigation to you. No. Well, not to you, but eventually got to judges, and everybody sort of circled the wagons to try to protect everybody. Well, so, yeah. Um, Jay Norton told me that Orlando Garcia and Joy Contreras leaked. He didn't use those words. I think he said, told them, him and Alan, about the investigation so that they could warn everybody. That's what I was told. I'm not a lawyer, but isn't that obstruction of justice? I, I would imagine it, it, it certainly could be, um, Brian, and that's, maybe that's something needs to be looked into. So when the word got to you... Did you ever discuss it with anyone else? What what happened after during this time period after you're told about it? What tell me more about the but there must have been a buzz going on amongst you all, all of you judges. I was told by Alan and Jay not to talk about it with it to anyone, and uh, I didn't. Um, I didn't think anything would come of it. To tell you the truth, um, it was it seemed so far fetched. To me that they're investigating the entire courthouse okay but i haven't i had no guilty mind so that i would be worried about it i didn't think about what i had been doing with acevedo had i thought of that accurately i certainly would have realized that i had behaved stupidly but um yeah after uh, after he warned me everything just kind of stopped didn't it in addition to your version of events uh, about the leak and, and the warning, um, we have the government documentation, um, and I have some of that with me. Again, this is sealed and has never been released to the public, but what I find interesting in it is it basically corroborates what you're telling me. Um, oh, okay. So uh, I'm going to read to you from uh, one of the documents which uh, was filed with the court. It says... Um, And this goes to uh, the leak and how Acevedo was approached. On December 15, 2013, Alberto Acevedo requested a meeting with FBI agents Michael Carlisle and Darren Holmes to report. Acevedo requested the meeting to discuss information he had been provided earlier that same day at the Bear County Courthouse by defense attorney Ed Bartolome. Bartolome saw Acevedo and motioned for Acevedo to enter an area where the two could speak in private. Bartolome began by telling Acevedo, quote, The cat is out of the bag, Al. Acevedo asked what Bartolome was referring to, and Bartolome explained Alan Brown, another defense attorney in San Antonio who lives close to Bartolome, had gone to Bartolome's house the previous weekend. While there, Brown told Bartolome that Brown had heard from a local judge that Acevedo was, quote, debriefing with the feds on public corruption cases. That was in December of 13? That was December 15th, 2013. 
So thus corroborating what I told you that, that Jay Norton had told me that a judge had told him and Alan that there was an investigation going on to Al Acevedo. And so there it is. Well, that's so nice to be says, corroborated. He says Brown had heard from a local judge, but in another sealed document uh, from the court, um, this one says that you um, had mentioned that Brown had heard information from a federal district judge, and your appellate attorney at the time um, writes to the court that Alan Brown knowingly altered the course of a federal investigation by leaking Acevedo's actions through the Bear County courthouse. So now that's your attorney obviously saying that right. during your appeal. Right. Um, but another interesting note is that the FBI agent at the time, um, and this was after Acevedo was approached and the cat is out of the bag, Al, um, the FBI agent wrote, uh, shortly thereafter, I began to receive information regarding rumors about the federal investigation into public corruption in Bear County, Texas. By early January 2014, 2014, the federal investigation into public corruption in Bear County, Texas, had become a topic of interest among attorneys. So the cat was out of the bag. Yeah, apparently. That same FBI agent, Michael Carlisle, um, submitted a declaration to the court. And in it, he says, McGinty advised that the information about the federal investigation into public corruption had been leaked to Brown by an assistant United States attorney in San Antonio. That's right. That's what I was told. And in your affidavit to the court, you said that Mr. Norton advised me that he and Alan Brown, uh, that they decided that Norton should speak to you in person and that Mr. Brown would speak to judges Sid Harrell and Raymond Angelini. Now, why would he talk to those two particular judges based on what you've seen from your own investigation? Those names come up. Well, uh, based on what I know now, he talked to them because they were mentioned in the, in, in the investigation. So, um, it would seem that's why he talked to them is because they were mentioned in the investigation. I don't think he picked them out of the blue. If that's what your question is to me, no, I don't think he picked them out of the blue. And there are other uh, records, other documentation in here where um, Acevedo is picked up on wiretap as saying that he has influence, of course, meaning corrupt influence, um, not only in your court, but in Judge Harl and Judge Angelini's courts. Um, those are statements that you remember seeing when yes. you viewed the records. Yes. Um, goes on to say, they said that if they can keep others quiet, and you're again referring to your attorneys, then that would help you. Uh, Mr. Brown and Mr. Norton <laughs> told me that they had spoken to or were going to speak to Sid Harrell, Raymond Angelini, Michael Ugarte, who is a, um, a magistrate judge. Um, then there's the name, names of two attorneys, which I'm not going to say because I have no corroboration. I've never seen their names in any of the files anywhere other than here. Okay. Um, but it goes on to say that the warning also would go to other lawyers, clerks, and assistant district attorneys, and anyone else they thought needed to know about the FBI wanting to speak with them and would make sure that no one would. So 
that was your statement to the court in an affidavit. So yes. what you're basically saying is that your two attorneys at the time were were out in front trying to protect not just you, but the other judges at the courthouse. That's what I argued unsuccessfully on my uh, appeal, is that my attorneys, unbeknownst to me at the time, were being investigated at the same time as I was. And because they were part of that investigation, I then concluded later, as I said in my affidavit, that they were out in front to save not only other people in the courthouse, other judges and lawyers, but to save themselves. That's essentially what I argued to the Court of Appeals. That's what uh, falls under the umbrella of a conflict of interest. And um, that was unsuccessful. The, um, the Court of Appeals, if I can venture to talk about that, they denied my appeal asking that they reverse my case for a conflict of interest because even though I didn't know uh, my lawyers were being investigated at the same time I was, and the government did know that they were being investigated at the same time, and the government did not tell me, the Court of Appeals said that I had impliedly waived any claim to conflict. Now, um, in the legal world, uh, things that are waived must be waived knowingly and openly. You know what I mean? Mm. So in other words, you can't secretly waive something. A waiver by its legal definition is something that is described to you. You state whether you understand it, and then you state affirmatively or uh, negatively that you are waiving uh, whatever it is that's asked of you. But none of that was done in my case. The judge never asked me, hey, uh, Angus, do you waive the conflict that your lawyers might have because they might uh, be uh, caught up in this investigation with you and they might be trying to save themselves by throwing you under the bus? Do you waive that? No one, no one ever came to me and, and, uh, and gave me that option. So the fact that the Court of Appeals says it was impliedly waived is simply a legal fiction. It doesn't exist. But they win. But they win, right. right. <laughs> yeah. At this point in my investigation, it was time to reach out to those mentioned in the documents as having leaked word of the FBI's undercover operation. I reached out first to Chief U.S. District Judge Orlando Garcia and left a message with his court clerk. I did have more luck reaching now former Assistant U.S. Attorney Joey Contreras, who is currently a criminal defense lawyer in San Antonio. Yes, Joey. Uh, hi, Joey. Brian Collister. I'm an investigative reporter. I used to work in San Antonio uh, when you were at the uh, U.S. Attorney's Office. Yeah, I remember you. How are You're you? You're not in San Antonio anymore? Uh, I actually uh, am based out of Austin these days. Oh, well, good. Uh, hey, What's going on, Brian? I am working on a podcast um, mm-hmm. about the Angus McGinty case. Um, mm-hmm. And also, it involves the FBI's investigation into the uh, what they called the corruption uh, uh, at the Bear County Courthouse. And yeah. and so, as you probably know, the the case has been sealed, with the exception of just some publicly filed documents like the indictment and the plea deal and things like that. Um, mm-hmm. But I've gotten a hold of um, essentially. McGinty's entire file. 
And in the file, there, there's, a, there's a reference to you, and I wanted to run it by you if you had just a minute. Oh, I'm curious. What does it say? Well, it, it says that you leaked word of the FBI's investigation to Attorney Jay Norton, that you, that you told him that the FBI was conducting an undercover sting, um, and you told Jay Norton, and then Jay Norton, in concert with Alan Brown, went and warned the judges and effectively put a stop to the investigation. Did I do that? That's what it, that's what it says in the FBI records. That, that you told Attorney Jay Norton of the fact that there was an, an, an undercover FBI investigation taking place. Well, that's weird because I didn't know there was one taking place. So you didn't tell anybody while you were at the U.S. Attorney's Office that there was an FBI investigation into the courthouse corruption? Absolutely not. And, and at what point did you become aware there was an investigation? Well, you know, it wasn't handled by our, our office. Right. It was handled by uh, an office out of New Mexico. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, mm. I, gosh, Brian, what, what year was that? That would have been um, two, that late 2013, early 2014. I believe the reference to the conversation that they alleged took place happened late 2013. Mm, I can't remember when I found out there was an investigation. I don't know if it was when the indictment came out or... I, I just don't remember. Okay. Um, but as far as alerting anybody to the fact there was an investigation, you say you never did that? I would never have done that. So in the FBI records, um, McGinty says that uh, Jay uh, Norton told him that he had heard that information from you. Well, I don't know what, I don't know the basis for Jay saying that or Angus saying that. But it's not correct. I would have never compromised it. You know how many large investigations I handled and led? You were at the time the head of the major crimes division, right? No, no, no. At that time, no, I think I was just a line prosecutor. Oh, my, what time? No, I might have been head of major crimes. Oh, God, no, I wasn't. No, I think I was just a line prosecutor. When did you become the head of the major crimes division? When was that? When Pittman became U.S. attorney. Mm, 14, maybe? 15? Oh, okay. So... Um, any other references that are in these documents that that say that the that in, in you weren't the only one supposedly who uh, at least it was claimed that the information had come from, but any any references to you you're saying simply are not true. Absolutely not true. 
Jay Norton represented Angus. Is that why I suppose I would have told? Why would I tell Jay? Uh, the the way it was described to me is that it was essentially um, a warning to those who might get caught up in the investigation because it was targeting judges and and attorneys. Is the claim? Okay. Now I'm categorically say that is 100% false. Judge Rodriguez said that based on the documents he's read, Bear County Courthouse corruption doesn't end with this case, something to which McGinty's lawyer took exception. There's no bribery, there's no dishonesty, there's a lack of understanding on what happens over there sometimes and the volume that the state handles versus the volume the feds handle. So I want to go on, um, there's another judge mentioned in, in here that um, we're going to focus on in another episode uh, at length, um, but in your affidavit, after you uh, say what we just uh, quoted, you go on to say that Mr. Brown told me that Sam Katz a former judge and current assistant district attorney in Comal County, which is just outside of San Antonio, had been alerted that the FBI were going to try and do a sting on him with Acevedo wearing a wire to catch Kat saying something in furtherance of a bribe. Mr. Brown and Mr. Norton told me that Katz had not said anything incriminating to Acevedo. That's... So you said that. Yes, I said that. And what it sounds like to me is that they were successful in protecting Judge Katz. That would be a logical assumption from what, um, from what I stated, is that their, their uh, running influ- uh, interference worked. And um, I guess it remains to be seen whether or not there is any corroborating evidence to what uh, Acevedo had said, which is, he had a corrupt influence with Katz. I guess that remains to be seen whether there is some corroboration on that. Well, there's a, he, Judge Katz is, is uh, the former Judge Katz, is, is all over these documents, and we're going to get into uh, okay. to those documents uh, in another episode, but for now. Um, and that was, that was part of the basis of my uh, appeal for a conflict, is that Alan Brown and Jay Norton were in a corrupt relationship with Sam Katz and they did not want that exposed and so they ran interference what do you mean by that. corrupt uh, relationship what was corrupt about it that uh, and I'm not sure what I put uh, in my uh, affidavit um, but part of my appeal was basically that my attorneys were being investigated for being corrupt at the same time that I was and that it didn't make sense to, to allow them to represent me without me knowing that they were also part of the investigation. And later I learned that, uh, as Katz has mentioned in these documents you've shown me, I was later able to kind of uh, put the pieces together that he was mentioned in there as having a corrupt influence, or excuse me, they were in there as having a corrupt influence with Katz. And then... It was later revealed that Katz did not reveal anything about their relationship. And then even after that, I learned that Katz and Alan and Jay did have a corrupt influence together. I don't know if you and I have talked about that. We've talked yeah. a little bit about it, and we'll talk more when we when we get to the episode where we uh, 
dive into some more of the documentation involving uh, former Judge Katz, who now is an assistant district attorney uh, down in what we call the Texas Rio Grande Valley, um, and working at a DA's office down there. Now, I've reached out to Judge Sam Katz, also to the attorneys that McGinty has mentioned, Jay Norton and Alan Brown, as well as all of the others that you've heard named throughout this podcast and uh, offered the opportunity for them to appear on the podcast and give their side of events. So far, I've gotten no response from any of them, but we'll continue to try. Now, coming up on the next episode, we'll be talking to the man who knows more than anyone else about the corruption at the Bear County Courthouse. That's the FBI agent who led the investigation. The now retired FBI agent Michael Carlisle spoke to me by phone about the entire case. Now McGinty says that basically his, um, what he pled guilty to was the car repairs, period. Nothing else, there, 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 there was no other bribery, no nothing. Um, you investigated the case. What do you say? Is he minimizing it? Is he is he owning it? Um, I I think Angus has, has minimized his role from the beginning. The former FBI agent who led the investigation into corruption at Bear County's courthouse and much more coming up in the next episode of How to Bribe a Judge, the podcast. I'm investigative reporter Brian Collister. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home.